No, I, I wasn't referring to to that. I was referring more to just the sacrifice of I'll give things up that I'd rather have for something bigger and better. What is that exactly when they leave? No, it's still go, it's still going, buddy. <laughs> it doesn't. That's, stop. A, that's the joke I was telling people when he was born. I was like, can't wait till he's eighteen. Now there's a whole there's a whole thing that um, yeah I don't know we can get into it I don't know if you want to intro or if we just roll straight into it No I thought we got we got rid of the intro right We did last time I wasn't sure if that was like well we, we the new normal of it because yeah I think we're just trying stuff new stuff uh, the intro seems sort of uh, like stiff and rote now. Okay. I think that um, the 14 people that listen to this kind of know <laughs> the gist they know, they know of the everything. Game. And, you know, we had that second name, that secret name, and we can't really use it anymore because now there's like a person actual person Percy. assigned to it. I know. So. Unless we, unless we went back and found another cool family name. Speaking of names, we'll get to this because originally we were going to do this episode and we were going to do another Bible thing. Like, um, it was like the later years of Noah, right? Like, after the flood, Noah, yeah, AF. I guess we could still like tie that in. Like, I think it speaks to like sort of what you're going through a little bit, yeah, just like being like. The latter days of parenting. I don't know. Maybe this is like. Well, I hope it's not the latter days. It's like the middle part, right? Like there's the where you raise them and then. Yeah, I think they go off and hopefully do what they're supposed to do. That's the very beginning of that phase, right? So I guess this would be like the middle part for you. Yeah. I'm at the very beginning. You're at the middle. Yeah, I think it's. uh, I think that's a good way to say it. I think. I guess if you thought about it in thirds. Which, you know, it's not a guarantee that you'll get that far. But if you think about parenting kids 0 to 18, and I think there are stages within that, but broadly speaking, 0 to 18, and then say, you know, just for congruency's sake, 18 to 36, and then from there, you know, 36 and beyond. It's like I do think that that 18 to 36-year uh period i guess you could say that's where they're coming into their own and finding themselves as young adults to mature adults hopefully and then you're then you're probably either at the beginning of that or after that you're definitely probably parenting parents which is i'm i'm sure a whole nother stage too you mean your own parents no well uh, that too that that's too that's another thing that i've noticed no, that that too. You're parenting your parents, but you're also parenting your kids who are parents. Yeah, if they have kids, yeah, then your grand grandpa yeah. or grandma. And I think that's a whole nother stage whole of nother, like this is yeah, how we I, did it, and you're yeah. doing it differently, but we can't really say. The thing that I've realized, and I saw it with you when you had kid when you first had. Your, your oldest kids, uh, which is like 20 years ago, just, yeah. <laughs> so, 
That sucks. That sucks, That's man. Crazy. I worked with this guy who's 24 years old, and his dad's the same age as me. No way. Something like that. Yeah, you know, I would have had him when he's 21 or 22. Yeah. Well, yeah. My mom yeah. had you when you're 20 when she was 21. That's true. Yeah, like I work with this guy. He's not wait a typical sort of 20 year old, 24 year old. He's kind of he's kind of mature and. Uh, it's a philosophy major okay like very smart guy kind of mature but i'm like talking to him like we have a lot of like deep conversations and talk about a lot of different things and but sometimes i catch myself and i'm like dude i could be this guy's dad it's it is it's really weird like you you see you see these little reminders every now and then and i always laugh at them when you're like someone someone mentioned the 90s and you're like oh that was you know I was just like a decade or two, a decade ago, or like that, you know, it was my childhood. And you're like, that's 30 something years ago. Yeah. Like we, we have a friend who, um, who has a, a girl who is a little bit older than Julep, I think. So she's like maybe 10 or 11, something like that. And she came home the other day and the dad was like, what'd you, what'd you learn today in school? And she's like, oh, we, we were studying history today. Oh yeah, really? What'd you study? She goes, well, have you ever heard of like this music group called the Spice Girls? <laughs> That's what she was learning in history. <laughs> Why? I, I think they were doing some sort of unit or module on English music. <laughs> okay. Wow. I know. Sometimes you don't know the cultural significance of things either. At the time, you know, like. You don't. You, I was like at this trivia thing, and it was for '90s music, and you know, some of the things that are are trivia are you don't realize how significant they are, or even in the 2000s, like the early 2000s. I feel like now that's 20 years ago. It is. The 2000s, I feel like was just not that long ago. It feels like 2000, but then you think about 2001, and you're like, well, that that does seem like a long time ago, like September 11th, you know? It, that, it is funny you say that, because you're right. I think in my own head, I would I would distinguish between 9-11 being really, really long time ago, but like Y2K doesn't feel that long ago. Like when that whole scare went of like, what's going to happen? Is everything going to shut down, you know? Yeah. That does seem like a long time ago, though. Does it? Yeah, I mean, I remember the build-up to that, and then it was just nothing. Oh, I know. That was my whole thing. I remember it, too. But for whatever reason, 9-11 seems a lot further in the past than that. I don't know why. Maybe because there's so much that's happened as a result of it. Yeah. But anyway, the thought of getting older, I think it was just what what the root of that is it's just like you're on the second half you're on the other side of the hill you know yeah if you think about it from like a midlife standpoint i mean if you're lucky you'll live till you're 90 which i'm already past that halfway point yeah so that's crazy to think i don't like thinking like that i sometimes initially i feel like oh that is an awful thought then there's another part of me that's like 
wonder what it's like, you know? No, I, yeah, I get that. I think I think where I'm coming from, I don't like to think about it. It's not so much that I fear fear the next, Lord willing, you know, 40 plus years. I, I think it's just more of like I look at those next 40 plus years almost with more excitement. So I don't want to think about it negatively. I want to think about it positively because like if you think about your first 40 plus years, like you didn't have much control over the first 10 to 15, you know, now I, I have control in a sense, theoretically, I've got a sense over all these years left over. So like in one way I can hopefully maximize them. I tell people all the time, younger people mostly, that you don't really know a lot about yourself until you really hit your 40s. Like you really don't start understanding who you are and becoming more comfortable with yourself until, you know, late 30s, 40s. And even now I look back at that what I can remember of my 20s and I'm thinking that's a whole different person like you have so many different points yeah. in your life where you're a different person and I know they say yeah. things like people don't change and I think that's just an, I think that might be another matter of like just decisions you make maybe you keep making the same decisions but you are different like at 20 25 I can't even remember what I was doing in 25. I had to go back and look at yeah. the year. Like, what year is that? Like, 2002? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that would be right at 9-11, right after it. And I don't know. It's, you're a different person. You think differently. Things totally. don't matter as much to you. Uh, I think you become more, as you get older, all this superfluous stuff kind of falls away and... You get, you can kind of, uh, I think you maybe can focus better at that at this age. And then you know you got maybe 20 years where you can't focus from now. Like when you when you hit your 60s, your mind starts to go. I guess <laughs> maybe it goes now. I don't know. Maybe I think yeah, everyone's different. Though before you mentioned like being a grandparent, which I mean I hope. The present situation isn't like going in that direction. No, no, but like Candace and I were saying, you know, if you look at life in five year segments, I mean, think about where you were five years ago. Yeah. Right? Like that, your entire life is different from five years ago. So yeah. the massive number of changes, some of them which you probably could not have even imagined five years ago. So think about yeah. the, the number of massive changes that happened. So we were just talking the other day, and we were just like, the reality is, is in five years, our oldest is going to be 25. Very, very conceivably, he could be a parent, yeah, married with a child like that. That's I, I we had him when we were when I was 25, you know. Yeah. Yeah, you're gonna be a granddad soon. So that's don't say that, but that's crazy. Isn't that weird though? One thing I realized though about grandparents, and this has probably happened to you, is they're maniacal. (laughs) I I really don't think they're they're very helpful and they're great, but they like your kid more than you like your kid. Well, because you know why, I think. 
it's a second chance. Yeah. It's a, it's a second chance to do things upon reflection and yeah. and 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 at the end of the day, you're not solely responsible for them. So there's a freedom. Right. There's yeah. a freeness that comes yeah. with that, I would imagine. Yeah. I think it's the like being able to walk away from it. Completely. Yeah. You know? Also, I do uh, I do feel like it is a second chance for some. Like I know yeah. like without saying names, there are probably some people I know, a couple, you know, on both sides of the situation that I'm in that feel that way. I don't sure. know if mom feels that way. I know someone else that probably feels that way. And and even if it's if it's not a second chance that stems from regret, it's it's a second chance, maybe just stemming from excitement because you really liked that stage and you missed it, you know, and you like babies like that. That in and of itself is also, I think, very real. Yeah, I mean. If you missed it, you're probably the dad. More than likely, I would say, Yeah. yeah, generally speaking, yeah. Because the mom is not missing any of it. <laughs> well, again, they might miss the nice parts. <laughs> yeah, you know the know. cuddles and the. Seems like the, the moms, the, the moms sweet. are way better at. I think there's something in a baby's cry that makes a man like want to like. Nah, I'm done. You know. Yeah, like, I, that, somehow, that's like the gurgling one where there is a thing, and I think women the mom goes to it and it does, like that octave doesn't bother them but i think it bothers men it bothers me no definitely no yeah. the, the, there's a there is an octave that just communicates this doesn't seem as big of a deal as you think it is <laughs> that's kind of i think for us yeah for us man. exactly like, dude you just got fed diapers clean held you for an hour yeah we know it's not you're a big right. of a deal but I think women don't like moms don't. Yeah, that doesn't bother them as much. I guess I I've been thinking about a lot about uh, our dad and like divorce and all that stuff. And I I wonder how much it like when you have kids, how much it plays in to men. You would think on some level like it'd be hard. It's hard to leave your kids. It's hard to get divorced and like move away. And then have this separation and have to deal with the logistics of that and the heartbreak and all of missing each other. But like on some level, I was thinking like, well, maybe for men, we're hardwired in such a way that that it isn't that easy to leave for some. Like it's more maybe maybe a relief, maybe it was a relief for them. I I do think there are some people who are more naturally prone to being a parent than others. Yeah. And so I do think for some people, men or women, um, you know, I, I actually work with somebody who's, who was raised by their aunt and uncle. And they, they talk quite a bit about how they grew up around their mom and dad, but particularly their mom wanted nothing to do with them. Yeah. You know, and it was just like she just didn't want to be a mom. So I think, you know, whenever you talk about men and women and roles of 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 each, you just have to recognize it's general generalities. There are always the outliers and different people who are wired differently or based on their experiences react differently. But 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I do. I mean, I know we've talked about this, but, you know, one of the big memories with, with dad was when we would leave him after long periods of time together and then leave knowing there would be long times of period apart. He was obviously very emotional about that. Um, yeah, I, but, I, you know, we were older at that point and easier to deal with than like a infant. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing, man. I, I, I'm convinced now that there is no such thing as an easier stage of parenting. Yeah. The issues that you struggle with just simply shift. And in general, the issues you're dealing with right now with newborn to toddlers is going to be strict, almost primarily physical. You know, getting right. up, being tired, having to do everything for them, you know, just constant moving, moving, doing stuff. And then as they get older, it becomes more emotional, becomes more mental. Um, it becomes it becomes more social. Um, and at times, like Candace and I look back on those times, probably just because of where we are now and go, oh, we would. We remember going, we can't wait to get out of this stage. And now we're in this other stage where it's a little bit more of emotional issues going. Yeah, this is pretty hard too, if not harder. <laughs> you yeah. know. So Yeah. So I don't that, know. For dad, maybe maybe he was somebody who maybe it wasn't as big a deal in the early years. Maybe it was a bigger deal in the early years. I don't I don't know. But I think some people are better built for parenting early years and some are better built parenting later years. Yeah, I was just wondering, something occurred to me about him and where he was during a period, because I don't remember, have any memories of him at this point in our lives when mom was working at the paper mill. Right. And I asked her about it when she was here, because mm. I was wondering, because I was like, what? We had those babysitters, and then... You know, we I do kind of remember spending time with our grandparents. Yep. I was like, where? I don't remember. Like, during like three to five years old, dad being around. I'm sure he was. But I don't remember like going over there at that age or where he was. I rem- maybe my memory's all messed up and how old I was. I remember yes. the first time we went and saw him, like, I, the first time I remember like, Going on a weekend when it was one of our weekends was they were living in a very like a an apartment in Monroe. He was already with it when, the, mm-hmm. and it was like a smaller like I don't know if it was a two bedroom or one bedroom. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that one? It was like before the condo that they had. I think they were two. I remember two places before the conference. Yeah. So that first place, I I don't don't remember how old I was then, though. Yeah. Maybe I could have been three or four. Yeah, I don't remember either. I I remember it being near a Taco Bandito. Yeah. Yeah. Like walk. Yeah. And I uh, I think it was only one bedroom, or or if it were two, I, I don't know. I remember we, though, slept out. In the living room on the couches. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. Like, Anyway, I don't know if that means anything. I was just thinking, like, along those lines of, like, 
why like why men sort of leave women when they're when they have a baby you know yeah because it happens a lot i think and i think I that mean, it does this is a struggle for the man to uh to keep to stay positive in these times because you're not like you're just there for like relief mm-hmm. I mean, you do a lot like you get up you're not sleeping and mm-hmm. you do what you can but it's like you can't feed them mm-hmm. you know yeah no i know i mean some men can though from the standpoint that some women choose not to breastfeed so th- th- there is for some I mean, we men, do that too like not would she just you know the pump thing right yeah and, so you've uh, got that you've got the pump so you do that but like uh, there was i think I was, i'm not this is i want to be clear here this is not like something that i've been wanting to do like run away <laughs> um I'm just saying, like, in those early days, like, there's a lot of emotions that you go through Um, in the first, like, I would say the first, like, two weeks, right, when you take them, after you take them home. Yeah. And it's a lot of things that you haven't really been prepared for emotionally, what you're going to go through. And all these things run through your mind, you know, and uh, you think of a lot of things. And then one of the things that you think about is like, uh, am I am I enough for this? Can I do, do, do I have it in me to do this? Mm-hmm. Am I gonna be good at this? Mm-hmm. What if I'm bad at this and I create another asshole in the mm-hmm. world? Mm-hmm. That type of stuff goes through your head early, early on. I mean, I don't think it ever. The the part about like uh, being a good parent never goes away. I don't think, but. But you like you learn how to sort of uh, process those emotions better as time goes by and you get into a better place. But those first two weeks were pretty rough. I think it's probably part of postpartum for men, mm. you know, mm-hmm. I think that makes because, sense. Like, I mean, like the whole pregnancy is really easy for a man. It's but, easier. You know, it's, it's easier. I mean, it was easy for me. Like I didn't have to really do much. Yeah. And then the baby comes and then you like, you know, you're preparing yourself like it's not going to be like this forever. The baby's right. going to be here at some point and you're going to have to do more. Yeah. And like you're going to go through a lot more than you are right now. Right. Especially emotionally and mentally. Definitely. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. So what are some of the emotions and thoughts that you've had in those first few weeks that surprised you or you weren't prepared for? Well, I wasn't prepared for like how um how much i would like feel for him mm-hmm. immediately you know mm-hmm. upon seeing him for the first time <laughs> uh, another thing that happened recently was like seeing mom with him and feeling this enormous sense of pride mm-hmm. I, I knew i wanted like i was excited for her to meet him mm-hmm. but then like seeing her with him was like an uh, feeling that I didn't think I would feel. That's cool. You know, mm-hmm. it was it was kind of uh, kind of flabbergasted me. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. For it, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. No, that's just a good those one. things like that that are sort of ripped out of you quickly, and you're like, wow, I didn't know that it was there at all. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, like you another know. dimension that 
has always been there all of a sudden it's coming out yeah taking shape yeah yeah so in another one just another one is i think it's just like feeling inadequate was the big one yeah in those first early weeks was just um being able to to feel like because it's always bizarre it's always so surreal because you look at him or her whatever whatever kind of baby you have and you look at them and i i'm I'm constantly going like where does this thing come from (laughs) and and me me and this other completely dependent yeah me and this other person made this thing yes and then at some point he'll smile at you and you're like where'd that what where'd that come from yep and it's just a constant like uh being in awe of like the whole process you know totally no i agree with you man i I think that's a different feeling to have like every day and like to to know that that's just going to be there always Mm -hmm. it's strange because you're like i would live my whole life pretty much pretty selfishly and pretty narcissistically and like you come to a point for me i was having this conversation with sarah's brother right before the birth he was talking because he has a kid and he was talking about how you you sort of like you don't know how much you're gonna have to sacrifice and I knew going in that idea of that and was sort of ready for it because I like for because I had lived my life pretty selfishly and was like ready for something new, mm-hmm. not new, but ready for something like that to be like, wait, it's not all about me, mm-hmm. you know, and I told him that and he goes, dude, that's very rare. <laughs> it is. Most people going into parenting aren't thinking that. No. I'm not trying to say that to pat myself on the shoulder. I'm just saying, like, that's where my mental state was. Well, I will say, Josh, I do think that I think that's probably connected to your age, though, too. Like, I think definitely, you know, first time parent at age, you know, 45, like that's 44, 45. That's you have more years and more time to reflect on that. So I think most people, the majority of people who become parents are, are younger than that. And so they're still like you said earlier they're still trying to figure out who they are and they're growing up yeah like i can't imagine that i can't imagine having a baby like in my 20s i don't know how you did it i don't know how anyone does it yeah be different people are built different ways yeah. i mean I, I i do remember candace and i were you're, you're never fully ready but we were ready from the standpoint of it, it is something that we looked at not just as, hey, this completes us or anything, but we looked at it as like just this one big mission of like we're excited to raise, begin raising a human being and and developing that new chapter within our family. You know, like we felt like there was a bit of a legacy that we could establish between the two of us coming from broken homes and things like that. So that that was a part of our motivation and you're never fully ready because you can't predict everything, but we just, I don't know. We just really approached it with a lot of excitement and joy. And so, um, you still get overwhelmed. You still, 
You, you do. I remember having having the realization one morning. Um, you know, it was really really early. Jonah got up. Candace was feeding them. I think I had work that morning. I remember being frustrated because he'd gotten up early. I got in the shower and it just hit me all of a sudden like I'm selfish. Like I am really really selfish because I'm mad at a little kid right now for waking me up an hour earlier than I wanted to get up. But that was a big revelation. Like I knew I was selfish, but I didn't know how deep it ran. Yeah. No, it does. That's what I think that's why I'm getting. But one of the things I was trying to get at as far as like the crying part of it, there's this reaction in you that is selfish. Of just yeah. like you want them to be tougher than they are and they're just baby. You know, they're just Yeah. Uh and you don't and like that's even stupid too. Like, are you tough? I'm not tough. And I'm asking <laughs> the baby to be tough. Right. I'm a baby too. So but I think that one of the things that is crazy about it too for me was like to feel this growing love too. Because at first you're just kind of like, I think Sarah said this to me yesterday about in the early days, you're just trying to keep him alive. (laughs) You know, and that's its own, that's its own other thing too, because that's, that's, that's harder than you, you would realize. But Mm -hmm. also just like how, things are just growing constantly and it's not just like he's growing physically but like just these emotions totally are yeah. growing and growing and growing and like you're saying like it just gets harder it doesn't yeah. like you know it can't yeah yeah but i was thinking about uh this thing with noah i'm not sure exactly how far along this is after the flood but we're talking about names you know like baby names people yeah. how many names are taken you know from the bible but there's one that's never taken and it's one of noah's sons and he's part of the story he's part of the story ham (laughs) never you never see that name it's not super popular no but he was part of the story right that was a huge part yeah he's one of the one of his three sons like he catches or he sees noah like naked or yeah, I was just looking looking about that bit because that was the part we were talking about. And it does relate, I think, to this whole parenting thing. Like basically after they get out of the ark, um, people start just, you know, pe- people start dispersing and kind of doing their own thing. And it says that Noah um, planted a vineyard. And um, I guess after the vineyard came into fruition, made some wine, got drunk and got naked. And so he's laying naked in his tent, and uh, his son Ham finds him naked and then goes out and tells his other two brothers. So the implication in that is that Ham basically like didn't take care of his, his, his father or protect his father. He basically kind of like exposed him and made fun of him and was like, look at what the old man's doing kind of a thing. Yeah. So that comes that, – that, that's – looked at the way it's portrayed like in a really negative sort of a way because then it's the other two brothers who go inside and cover up their dad and they walk and it says they literally went in walking backwards in order to cover up his nakedness because they didn't want to see him because that was a shameful thing why was it does this go back to the garden of eden um i don't know i mean that might be part of it i think part of it too just might be like 
a sense of just respect, you know, like just seeing your dad, you know, flat out drunk, you know, with everything hanging out. Maybe it was just kind of a sense of not wanting to see him in that vulnerable position and, and his and wanting to maintain the dignity, you know, that he he deserved as their dad. Where Ham had a totally different reaction. And it was nothing about being drunk, though, right? Maybe it was. Right. No, he was. Yeah, he definitely was but, drunk. Like, but that was that a shameful act, getting drunk? I mean, I think anytime you're drunk and laid out naked, like it's not a pretty picture. What if it was just hot? And he was. I mean, at that point, you know, this is where like Bible students and theologians would go. You're kind of reading into the text now. Like the text doesn't say anything about I that. Thought that. I thought you. I thought you were supposed to. No, no, no. You're supposed to read it as it is. And I did see a thing though, like about this, where they were breaking down, doing exactly what you're you're saying, and they're breaking down the wordage of this passage or these passages in the Bible that describe this incident, and they made some correlation to it being that it's not just about him being naked, it's about him having laid with someone that he shouldn't have been laying with, like a family member. I mean, that's not in this story. This is what I read, man. I'm serious. Yeah, I know, but I guess that, but see that, I think, Josh, this is where you're getting into, now you're getting into kind of where, what I spend a lot of my time doing, is you have a whole lot of people who look at the Bible as a piece of literature, which is fair, and and as you would with any piece of literature, you begin by going, okay, how do we understand this, um, and what does it mean? You, you want to go back to what is the what, what do the words say, and what is the author's intent? If the author's okay, intent right. was to to recognize that there was some sort of sexual act going on there, can I read this it. for you then? Please do. I found, I'm going to tell you where I found it, though, all right? And this might. No, that helps. Yeah, it's on the Catholic Exchange. <laughs> okay. It's a website. Fair enough. I, okay, you, you laughed a little, like, mockingly, so. No, not mockingly. I think I think what happens – Go, just go ahead. Go ahead and read it. So after the flood finally ended, Noah planted a vineyard, like you said. And one day he drank a bit too much of his wine. Went to his tent to lie down, and his son Ham also went in and saw the nakedness of his father. That's in quotations. Right. Saw the nakedness of his father. For some reason, this enraged Noah, so he pronounced a curse on Ham's son, Canaan, as punishment. Genesis 9, 20, 27. So this person who's writing this article on the Catholic Exchange says, This is a bizarre story, and to us modern Westerners, it might even seem completely nonsensical. Was Ham's sin really that bad? Sure, we understand why Noah wouldn't want his sons to see him naked, but his reaction seems way over the top. What's more, why did he curse Ham's son instead of Ham himself? Mm-hmm. What could possibly be the point of that? To answer all these questions, all right, all right so what do you think? What, do you think that was like a, do you agree like that, that seems sort of over the top punishment? So again, I, I think from a 21st century mindset, of course it does. But you can't read it from a 21st century mindset only. Right. You've got to look at it from the standpoint of what was who who wrote it and what was the original audience's intention um, as well. So like like my my favorite example of this is 
the Wizard of Oz. Okay, so have I told you this story before? The Wizard of Oz, when it was originally written, um, the By Frank Baum. Correct. So the shoes that Dorothy puts on, right? The slippers. Yeah. What 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 are they? What color are they? Are they um are they ruby? Yeah, ruby red. Right. Right. Okay. Did you know in the book they're actually silver? Mm. Okay. The reason why they changed them is because red shows up better on t- on TV. Right. But the reason why they're silver in the book is because Frank Baum was writing a critique of the country at the time because there was the debate going on on whether or not the U.S. should switch from the gold standard to the silver standard or silver right. to gold. Right. And he was making a comment in regards to that. So so here's what you can do. You can watch The Wizard of Oz or read The Wizard of Oz, and you can go, oh, that's what it, – it's about this girl who wanted to go home. That's what the story's about. It's about – you know, the importance of family and the importance of friendship and all those things are good lessons. It's not what Frank Baum was writing about. So the meaning of the Wizard of Oz, though it can mean a lot to a lot of other people, there is a meaning. And then the meaning is determined by the person who wrote it. OK, right. So but that seems impossible to like. All right. Keep going. Impossible. I'm just saying like it, it seems like who wrote this story? So, okay, so the tradition is, is that Moses wrote this story. All right. Oh, so what is, what's Moses trying to say? Great question. So if Moses is writing this story for the people of Israel, one of the things that he's he's thinking through is right, I just I, I just got thrown into this position of leadership. We've just gone come out of Egypt, because that's the story of Moses, right? Prince of Egypt. He's leading them out of out of slavery. They go through the whole Red Sea fiasco, right? And they're on their way to this land that God has set aside for them and a land that he has promised them, which, by the way, its name is Canaan. Who is Canaan? The son of Ham. Yeah, exactly. So there's this there's whole history that's going on there. And so essentially Moses is trying to write and give an identity and a backstory to the people of Israel because they've been enslaved for 400 years in Egypt and they've lost a sense of who they are. And so Moses is writing this story trying to connect the dots between God showing up and interceding in history, speaking to people, allowing things to happen, intervening in history. And so he's writing the story going, hey, here's Here's how we got to where we are. And here, here's your here's your family genealogy. Here's your history as a people. This is your God. This is how he shows up. This is how he interacts. So so Moses is writing, trying to show them, here's how we got to the place of of being on our way towards the promised land. So that that's his intent. So here he is. He's not trying to say anything other than essentially, listen. When God cleansed the world, all right, which is what the whole flood was about, was saying, hey, there's all these people living horribly. There was the um, um, all, all this kind of craziness going on. The world was going insane. There was one one person that he called out and said, hey, you follow me. Moses and or Noah and his family did. 
is a reset. But what happens is, is that even in the midst of that or right after that reset, the guy who's supposed to lead everything still has an issue, right? He still he still stumbles. He still falls. He still shows that he himself is imperfect. I look at that and I think what Moses is doing as well is he's saying, look, you, you can wipe everything clean. You, you can have a complete restart and a reboot. The issue is not the world. The issue is in our hearts. The issue so is saying that, that. Okay, so what Frank Baum was doing with the silver shoes was a subtext. Like some people could read that and be like, oh, they're just silver shoes and this the subtext. Because there, but there is a subtext there. You're saying he's making a comment on the, the money system. What's the subtext? Well, he's making there? a comment on the country because what is there? There's the wicked witch of the east and the wicked witch of the west. He's right. making a comment on you know New York and. I get that, but, that's just, but like some people, uh, would see that, read that story, and just uh, take it surface value. Whereas what you're talking about is subtext. Well, not just subtext, but if Frank Baum is the one who said, this is why I wrote the book. Right. Okay, so but it's well, my not, point but is, he's not writing a story without witches and silver shoes to explain his stories using metaphor. So there's like a subtext there. I'm asking you, like, what is the subtext Moses is is referring to in, in writing the story about him and Noah, Ham and Canaan? He's the subtext, and I, I think that's what you just said, right? You're saying, yeah, not, and maybe it's not about the world being chaotic. Yeah. It's about men and what's the in hearts. their heart. Okay. Yeah, and maybe right. we're using different different meanings for words here, because to me, subtext means something that 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 is not as as um, uh, recognizable. That it's a little bit more hidden. Well, that I, is. I would say Fra- I don't think Frank Baum was writing subtext. I think he was using metaphor to get his point across. Was it I mean, silver silver shoes could be. It's yeah, not he's, a. He's the one not, who said this is what it represents. I know, but he had to say it later. C- correct. The correct, yeah. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, but my but, point is, is that he gets to determine what it means because he's the author. Also, that's a that anybody reading it provides what it means. You know what, what do you mean? mean? I mean, he could say it means that to him, but you don't know that's what he was writing when he was writing it. He could just say that years later, thinking, "Oh, yeah, that's what it means." What it, but what what I'm saying is yeah. that's like revisionist history by an author to come out later and say this is what it's about. Maybe it was about that. Maybe it wasn't. Um, well, that's a big truth, assumption I, on your part, I, though. But I you're think making truth, an assumption about him. But I think the truth of the matter is, is like what people think of it, other readers, not him. See, I disagree. I, I mean, I, 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 think I, it, I think it all can exist is what I'm saying. It's like he can say it's that means that, but it can mean something else to someone else that reads it. I'm not saying it can't mean something else. But what I'm saying is that if you are trying to determine the original meaning, though there might be variants of what you get out of it, the original meaning is primary. And so the reason why it was written, the the source of inspiration. Came you, so when you away. would you wherever you read this thing that where Baum said that this is like a this is like an alternative source somewhere someone interviewed him right, and he said that. 
I mean, I have to go back and look. I mean, it's, it's got like it on a shelf somewhere. It's I can like find a, it. It's in like a a forward of some of a, of something, right? Something. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a it's, it's it would be a like similar a, thing to there's like not like a forward or a footnotes to what Moses was writing. No, correct. But I think again, you look at there is enough research and there's enough study that goes into a book that's been around for thousands of years to where over the course of history, you're able to put together a pretty clear picture of what's going on. And so what happens, though, is that we forget that this is that this sort of picture construction has been happening for a long time. And we show up with our 21st century mindsets going we see it clearly now, and we we have a problem divorcing ourselves from our culture and our context, and the 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 absolute struggle with any historical approach, even if if you're in the realm of archaeology, if you're you know in the realm of of a particular form of history, is is trying to understand the culture and the context in which this was produced. And in order to do that, you have to, as much as you can, shed your culture and context. And that's a hard thing to do. Um, but that's the work of a historian. That's the work of study. It's the work of theologians as well. Um, right. Is going, okay, what, what was the – if this is intended to last – and in this case, we're talking about a text that, you know, it's not just a work of, 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 you know, fun and fiction, though some people would disagree with that. Um, but it's meant to guide people. It's meant to give structure and value and, and help to people. Um, there's, well, let's, let's continue with this, uh, this Catholic exchange okay. sort of take on it. The key to this passage is a seemingly straightforward detail that Ham saw the nakedness of his father. Most readers just take it at face value without giving it a second thought, but the phrase is not quite that simple. It doesn't mean that Ham saw Noah's naked body lying on the ground. Rather, it is an idiom, just like our phrases, drop the ball and kick the bucket. So we shouldn't take it so literally. If we look elsewhere in the Old Testament, we can see that it is equivalent to another ancient Israelite idiom to uncover one's nakedness. Leviticus, Leviticus 2017. That may not seem too helpful at first, but it's an important step because scripture tells us what that one means. To uncover the nakedness of one's father means to have sex with one's mother. Leviticus 2011. So that must be also be the meaning of the idiom to see the nakedness of one's father. Okay, I know this is out there, dude. <laughs> right? It is. So, so here's the breakdown. That may be a bit confusing, so let me lay it out to you. To see the nakedness of one's father equals to uncover the nakedness of one's father. To uncover the nakedness of one's father equals to have sex with one's mother. Therefore, to see the nakedness of one's father, to have sex with one's mother. So they're making. They're just trying to make the point, like, that's why... That's why he was so hard on him. Once we understand that, we can make sense of the rest of the strange story. Ham's sin wasn't simply that he saw his naked father, rather it was that he had sex with his mother. And that was why Noah was so mad at him. 
And that was why Noah cursed Ham's son Canaan rather than Ham himself. Canaan was probably the offspring of that incestuous union. It seems to be reaching. I agree. And I would say for a couple reasons, Josh. Like, and I, I, again, I I try to be as simplistic and literal as I possibly can because I think that's the intention of the text. There's a couple issues with that. One, a very very technical issue, and the technical issue is is that the reference to Leviticus actually is a different Hebrew verb. And so when 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 he uses a different verb in Leviticus to talk about sexual relations, that's that is very intentional because again, tradition says Moses also wrote Leviticus. So he's using two different words, I would say, intentionally to describe two different things. The second, which I think is a little bit more obvious, is if that's what's going on, according to that writer, then what the heck is going on with the two brothers right afterwards? What are they unco- What are they covering? If it's not uh, just not just Noah being naked, right? I mean, I guess they could be covering their mother up too. I don't know. <laughs> right. So to me, I just think that's a, such a stretch, and I think that is a twenty-first or twentieth. That's probably written, that was probably written a long time ago. It's probably a 20th or 21st century mindset trying to make sense of the situation, yeah, and not right. just simply taking into account that in an ancient Near East culture, you didn't see people naked. This was a culture that you didn't even show your legs to people. That's why they wore long robes. So to see your father naked was a huge act of shame. So, yeah. So, but, so what is, then why is such a stiff penalty and why, why curse the son? Rather than him. Yeah, so that's a that that's a that's a, a better one to kind of talk through because I do think that that becomes a little bit more of, of of an issue. So probably more than likely, if I can just I'm just trying to like I'm I'm reading through it again just because I want to make sure I get this right because I've talked about this before or, or we've talked about it before just in our church, um, in regards to what's going on, is that. Is that more than likely what what Noah is doing and cursing him is is he's essentially um, in some sense there's a bit of a of a um, I guess the right word would be that there's almost a sense of um, because of what you're doing this is going to affect your family like because at the time Ham it says in verse 22 Ham the father of Canaan. So Canaan had already been born. It wasn't like he was he was cursing something that was going on. He's basically cursing Ham's family and cursing the family that will come from Canaan. Right. So, so he's essentially saying, listen, you, you, you're you're in such a bad position. You're in such a, 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 a selfish state. This is going to affect your family and Canaan himself will be cursed because of what you're doing. So it is it it is directly because of what Ham's doing, but there's this generational thing that will that will happen. Yeah. So they in later in that uh, article I read you, they do say the the point of that story was that the flood hadn't really worked. Right. Right. Which is another strange thing, right? Too, because the if the flood didn't work, God's just making all these bad decisions, right? I mean, that's definitely one way to look at it. Right. Or, I mean, like, or so. if if you look at God as having a a much broader and bigger plan, and if you look at Him saying while He's while He's allowing His plan and enacting His plan to overflow, 
out of continual love and grace and second chances, he's saying, listen, I'm going to give a bit of a reset here. I'm going to judge the world for where they're at, but I'm going to give a bit of reset because Moses has believed it, or Noah, sorry, has believed in me. And then Noah lets him down, and he's like, okay, well, I'm going to let you just be, you know, I'm going to let you do your own choice. God doesn't make robots. You know, like the ultimate act of love is giving people freedom to live. And Noah's making wrong choices. And there's consequences for those choices. You know, so what happens right after this story? It's the Tower of Babel. Yeah. You know? So I don't think it's God going, oh, I made a mistake. I think it's God going, I'm trying to give you more chances here to get it right. And man keeps screwing it up. Again, that's what I think Moses is doing here is Moses in writing this is trying to show the state of how the world has gotten to where it is. And again, Moses is taking a group of people into a promise, the promised land, and the goal is they're supposed to be different than everybody else as a testimony to the rest of the world, as a way to go, this is this is how the world's meant to function. What is, wait, what is Noah doing that's so bad? Is this part of the, this, this story is part of like what him messing up? Yeah, I mean, I think it just I think it just shows that again, like man is still in need of help. And so it's 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 not it's not unreasonable to think, okay, you know, it, it, is it a good is it a good look? Is it a good practice? Doesn't it say that there's probably something deeper going on if a guy's just, you know, getting drunk and passing out every night. Um, and again, that's me reading into it because it doesn't say every night, but it's probably reasonable to assume this wasn't the first time he did it. Um, if the guy has planted a vineyard and he's drinking the wine. Right, so it's not, it's not out of the ordinary to think maybe it was just hot. That's why he was naked. Again, Josh, when you read through it, Wait, it you says get naked behind your own tent flap. That's not the, then the issue is not that he was naked. The issue is that he was found naked. Right. Right. So is it an so issue? He, for you? A, so he slipped up. Somebody came in the tent when they weren't supposed to. I think we're being too hard on Noah. I think, I think, I think we're looking at it from a mindset. <laughs> Do you know what he did? We all know what he did. That couldn't have been, that had to be the hardest job ever on the planet. What? In the history of the Bible. What? What he did with the boat. I don't think that was the hardest job in the history of the Bible. Be, man. Like, can you imagine that? Like, having to round up all those animals. How long did that take? Well, I think he had supernatural help. Exactly. But then right, he had to so it wasn't just all on him. But then he had to build the boat. Yeah, no, I get it. And then he had to be, like, in this natural disaster where the world floods. Totally agree. On that boat and be a leader. Like, give the guy a break, man. If he wants to get drunk and get naked, let him. Hey, I'm not the one making the comment here. I know. I just think that uh, this is a strange story. It is a weird story, right? It, it, it's a, it is a strange story. But again, I think like it does it does reinforce this idea that there's a there's there's a standard and there are morals and there are ways in which people are to conduct themselves and not conduct themselves. And it's not as if, you know, one slip up and man, you're out of here. That's not the case. Like God still used them. God still, you know, after the flood, Noah lived 350 years. You know, it's not like he smited them. 
Yeah, but that must have been painful too, living that long. <laughs> well, I, I would imagine that they probably had. He wasn't the oldest, right? Was it was it Nicodemus? That what lived longest? Methuselah. Who? Methuselah. Yeah. Yeah, 969 years. Right, Nicodemus was the one that was, that's Jesus, right? That's in the New Testament, yeah. 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 Um, Methuselah lived 900 years. 969, I think? Yeah. That must have been terrible. Yeah. I mean, so what happens, though, like when they go to Canaan? Is um, this another offshoot of Jewish folk? Well, this is Jewish folk. <laughs> but like, is it what happened to the other two brothers that weren't banished? Um. Well, what does it say here? It says that they just had descendants. Um. So, got the sons of Japheth. Um. Said that they were the coastland people that spread in their lands, each with his own language and their own clans and their own nations. The son of Ham. Coincidentally, one of them is named Egypt. So there's there's that. That's where they went. Here's another great name is that Ham had a son named Cush who had a son named Nimrod. Is that the same Nimrod? He was the first. This is significant because the Tower of Babel Nimrod. Yep, because this could because at, this is one of those things that when you're reading, you go, oh, this is different. So this stands out. Because he's just listing the son of this, the son of that, the son of this. And then it gets to Nimrod, Cush father Nimrod, who was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. So that's significant because he was he was he was a pretty, pretty bad a dude. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, so they basically like their sons, his, his other two sons fathered more people and they spread out and. Made big nations and other lands and all that sort of stuff. Is there anything in that story that speaks to you about the stage of fatherhood? No, that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think. Again, let's let's come from that perspective that you just mentioned of like looking at Noah and going, man, let's give him a break. It's like, obviously, Noah made a mistake. We will continue to make mistakes as parents. And I pray, again, this is the way the story is being presented. I pray that my kids would have the approach that the other two brothers or the other two sons had, where it was like, we're not going to focus on dad being shameful right now and his mistake. We're going to actually kind of try to help him. So there's a sense of humility that I think of that when I make mistakes as a parent and when I make my future mistakes, which I know are coming, that my kids will have like a lot of forgiveness and grace and be be kind of worthy of um, of extending, you know, forgiveness towards me. So I look at that and I, I, I my heart instantly connects with Shem and Japheth and going, you know, they they walked backwards. They tried to maintain the dignity. Their faces were turned away. They did not see their father's nakedness. The whole idea of that is they were trying to still honor their father in the midst of him being in a very uncompromising situation. And I would hope that my kids would have that perspective towards me. Yeah. We look back now, obviously with, with a lot of reflection and a lot of, a lot of hopefully understanding, I would hope that if we had been of the age to really, really, you know, maybe be adults when some of that stuff happened, that we would have, we would have had a similar sort of response. 
Yeah. I like you say you're like you like relate to those two other sons. I sort of like relate with Noah because I just I feel like yeah he had a hard life, man. No, I, I get chosen, that. He was chosen to do these things. I don't look. At, I don't look at Noah negatively. Can't be, can't be easy to be chosen by God. I, I totally agree, and I don't look at Noah negatively. I think you look at that and you go, you know. From the Bible's perspective, he, he, you know, he made a, he made a mistake that had had a generational impact. So there's a sense again where my heart goes, Lord, protect me from that, <laughs> protect me from making mistakes that have generational impacts on my family. Yeah. You know, because we're all capable. That's another thing that you think about too is just not just like decisions you make, but your mental and emotional makeup. And ha- like just passing things down, yes, to your kids, yes, you know, you start Absolutely, thinking about that, dude. and you're like, oh man, is he gonna be like that? Did I give that to him? That sucks. Yeah, you know, I think that's one of the things I was thinking about in the, first, the early days was like worrying about like giving him all the bad parts of me. Yeah. Instead of the good. Yeah. You know, like you worry about like. Yeah things like that a lot like uh because you don't like if it, that is another aspect too that i wasn't prepared for is uh not caring about that sort of thing and now i do you know yeah i mean i think that some of that is you know the whole argument and and uh, you know it's it's hard to it's hard to to pick this out but the whole argument of nature versus nurture you know i think the reality is is that it's both like our kids grow up with some of that nature and DNA passed on to them that we can't control. And then there's a whole bunch that they learn from us, which is the nurture bit, you know. So I remember, you know, I, for me, Josh, I remember thinking about not wanting to lose my temper with my kids because I felt like for me. One of the characteristics of dad was that he had a hot temper. And so I remember thinking that's going to be something that I really, really work on. But I also knew I was going to have to work on it because though I don't think I had a temper like dad's, I still think I can get hot quick. I do. I have that same thing from dad that I just get angry really fast and then really quick off really quick. Yeah, yeah. So I remember thinking like, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And I remember – I remember at different times seeing my kids react that way, whether it was with each other usually, like they would get hot-tempered with each other. And you go, okay, was that something that was passed on, or is that something that they've seen? And the reality is it's probably a bit of both. Yeah. You know? And so um, that sticks with you as well from a shame, regret, like I suck at this. Um you know, they're going to be in counseling, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. You just, it, 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 that's, that is one of the, that's just one of the hard parts of parenting. So there will be lots of things that you do pass on, which will be great. And there will be things that they pick up on and get passed on that aren't great. And the hope is, is that for me at least, is that I would be more willing than our father was to admit and then to ask for forgiveness and to work on those things than he was, which means hopefully 
they will be even further along than I am when they have their own children as well. You know, it's that whole it's that old saying that, you know, you got to think about you're not just parenting your children right now. You're parenting your grandchildren, too. In other words, you're influencing the way your kids will parent their kids, which means you have an influence on them. Right. Yeah. Which is scary. That is, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, you know, ultimately, they have to parent them. They do, yeah. But, but you know, you're you're going to be making lots of decisions, and you're going to – through through the filter of, I went through something similar. How was that – how did we handle it? I mean, that happens to me all the time, for think, better or for worse. Like, you, you go, okay, this is how it's handled. I'll go the opposite direction. Or this is how it was handled, and I think that was pretty good. That's how I want to do it. And then your partner doing the exact changed, same thing, though, and they happen to be opposite. Parenting has changed so much, though, and generationally, like way our parents parented was probably the last sort of folks that parented that way. Because I think as our generation started to have kids, the world was just so different that, you know, what? Like, for example, most people were 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 hit as a kid, you know, with. Right. Yeah, sure. Corporal punishment. Yeah. But that sort of went away with our generation. Not, not many people are doing that anymore. Um, well, society looks down on it. That's why. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's changed. Yeah. When they were growing up, society wasn't really looking down on it. When we were growing up, like, every teacher had a paddle in the elementary school. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah, definitely. That could be regional, a regional thing. Probably mostly was a regional <laughs> thing. But, yeah, you know, things things change and parenting changes. And I think it's changed drastically since our parents have. Oh, no parented, question. You know? Yeah, it definitely. There's a big, there's a big, a big change, I think. So. No, there, there is. But I think at the heart of that. It's the it, it's the things that don't change that are still challenging. The issue with that is, what's the best way to discipline your children? Yeah. And really, the root of that is the fact that children need discipline. Yeah. So, however, however you achieve that, okay, fair, fair enough. Um, but you know, there are times where you know, if I'm just honest with you, I I see because we 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 were still maybe part of this was the culture too of being in the south. We were still able to raise our three oldest kids, and and we still did use paddling, not paddling, but you know, corporal punishment from the standpoint where we would spank. And I know that again, that just sounds horrible now, but I don't regret I'm, that. I'm gonna go on the record and say it doesn't sound horrible to me. All right, well, I appreciate that, I, and I don't regret it because I think we did it in a way. We were very, very intentional to say we're never going to do it out of anger, and we were also very intentional to, to every time we did it, we then looked our kids in the eyes, told them we loved them, and hugged them. It was a never like spank, go to your room. We never – that was never – because we didn't want to do it in anger, and we didn't want them to think that you know, um, this was something that was separate from love. Um, but I look at kids now, and there's kids in our church, and it's like, man, I would have a hard time not just taking them in the back of the room right now if I was their parent, you know? Tell me about it. <laughs> so it's it's a tough place to be in. It really, really is when culture changes and you think, well, is that a good change or not? 
Um, so I don't know, dude. I, know I think it's probably said. a good thing. Not to, I think it's probably a good thing to move away from violence. You know. Well, again, you're even the use of that word, saying that it's violence, like. Let's define. Well, let's define terminology here. Like, like. I, look, I have no problem with like whipping a kid, but it is a, it is a, it is sort of, a, it is a, a violent act. You're putting your hands on another with a weapon. At sometimes, sometimes it's a rusty iron spatula. Well, yeah. I, I, obviously, I think there's a nuance to it. I think there's a nuance to, um. I, I don't know. I mean, that's a whole nother conversation then, I guess, in regards to what is and what is violence, what is not violence. Some people would go, hey, go get a stick off, go get a branch off that tree so I could whip you. <laughs> Who in the world would do that? That is violent. <laughs> that's only not only violent to people, it's violent to trees. <laughs> that's a good point. It's not very, it's not very eco-friendly. Did uh, did per- the original Percy do that to you? I don't I, I, I don't remember him ever disciplining me like that. I feel like he did one time for me. Like go get a, go get a stick. Maybe William did that. I don't know. I thought you were talking about mom. I remember mom doing that. She did a stick. Heck, I yeah. Just go that. I just go get a switch. Mm, yeah, she maybe yeah maybe it was her. But you know what's crazy? Saying, having said Percy's name, like seeing Percy Mayhall again, it's insane. That, that's surreal. I agree with you. I think it's I never very imagined surreal. That, I never imagined that that would be the case. You know, yeah. Like no, I, I think that's – I think you're right. I think when you guys were talking about it, like it sounded great, it sounded cool. But then when you actually like sent that message and that was his name – there was that moment of like, oh my gosh, like there's so there's two images like popping into your head, yeah. you know, which is really weird. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of it's kind of uh, it's kind of surreal. I agree. You know, definitely agree. To have like that that sort of circle of life thing. Yeah. You know? No. I think it's, but I also think it's 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 not just a circle. It's also a continuation. You know, it's it's a it's a it's an arrow pointing ahead because you're 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 continuing in part the legacy of that man, which we want to honor and we want to to keep alive. Yeah, I hope he. I hope he's like that guy. I agree, dude. I completely agree. Yes. So it's a great it's a great uh it's a great name and life to live up to. Yeah. So I think it's I think that's a good place to end it on a happy note. Instead of <laughs> talking about violence. Drunk drunk naked fathers. <laughs> and and beating kids. With sticks. <laughs> Rust spat- spatulas made from the Bronze Age. Man, I know. Yeah. Well, it's been a while since we did a show. Like way too long. 
pretty much life got in the way for you and me, but like Definitely. lots of changes it in happens. both our lives. Like you, I think we mentioned uh, your oldest kid going off to college and that brings all kinds of things. Yeah, it's a different stage. With, you know? Yeah, different, different dynamic within the home, different dynamic between, you know, all the family members and him. Um, you know, like our youngest, man, she misses him big time, man. big time and thinks about him, you know, at random times, you know, just thinking about him, praying for him, mentioning his name, wondering what he's doing. Can we call him like just it's really sweet. So, yeah, there's just a lot of change there for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy transitions, man. Like, uh. They're good transitions because they're normal yeah. and they should happen. Like it's not one of those yeah. things that he's got to go off on his own. Yeah, it's not a regret. That's the thing. deal, dude. You leave. That is the deal. Yes, that is. That, I, one of one of the guys I uh, um, he, he's on our leadership team here. He's got two older sons, and he says he goes, uh, "You spend your whole life as a parent wanting your kids to grow up to be independent, self sufficient." He goes, and then you're horrified when they go off and do it. (laughs) I was like, that's exactly true. It's a good way to think about it. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's like, you know, your parents, even now, or our parents, are always, like, mom's always worried about us. Still. It never stops. Yeah. I, I totally, I totally can appreciate that more, for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and, and too, like, I think I appreciate more from mom's perspective um, how hard it is to see your to see your children, you know, become independent, go off, establish their own lives. And inevitably, because that's happening, the byproduct is they think less and less about you. Yeah. They don't love you less and less. But they don't need you as much. They don't need you, and because they don't need you, like as harsh as it is to say, they don't think about you as much. Yeah, <laughs> that's hard because you go sure. from you go from like where you're at, you know, total and complete dependence, um, to oh yeah, uh, it's your birthday today, happy birthday, yeah. <laughs> that right. sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, that is not that is gnarly. That is. But anyway, um, it was good to do another episode, get in touch yep. again, and talk about. Keep it I'm going. Glad we got to. I'm glad we got that big chunk of like Bible story, and that was fun. Yeah. No, I think it's good. I think it's a good ongoing conversation that we continue to have too, just about the stories themselves, but also how different people read those stories. Yeah. And how you go about the act of understanding interpreting that sort of thing because that's a huge i mean that's 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 a huge deal in my line of work and why there are so many different types of churches you know so probably a little bit it wasn't a snicker as it more of a of a recognition is that the catholic church definitely tends to put a lot of weight into their traditional ways of looking at stories. And so they they allegorize um, a lot of their stories in order to make sense of them, which is very different than my tradition. And so I think 
immediately when you said that, I it, it just snapped into a category of okay, I kind of know what's coming here. Yeah. So. Yeah, they that was they were reaching. I feel because there's no mention of a woman in there. No, and again, you know? it, it 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 seems like a even if it doesn't, the the pointing to Leviticus seems like oh well, that's reasonable. But then again, it's like, well, hang on, like you got to go another level there and look at the language and look at what's happening in these two different words. And um, there's a reason why there are two different words. And and I mean, there's a million examples like that in Scripture where you go, OK, this is why it takes more than just a quick look and a quick reading and then being able to. Um, not judge, but but you're, you're a, you've got to be able to to understand people's perspectives and the sources and critique kind of kind of where those things are coming from yeah all right all right man so hopefully we can we always say this we can be more consistent at uh doing these things yeah well i mean there's a lot to talk about there's a lot of material i think especially mining these transitions that you and i are both in from a parenting perspective um I think there will be a lot of self-reflection that we can, we can talk through and, then, and talk about. Yeah, and hopefully we could do that soon because, yeah. like, uh, you know, things move fast. That they do. Uh, so thanks for listening to another episode of My Brother's Deeper. We will catch you later. Bye. See, see you on the flip.